you're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad and we try and bring you variety in every aspect of life and I have the pleasure of sitting across from Nuala Dignan who was uh, born and raised in County Roscommon outside of Carrick and Shannon because the border of Roscommon and Leitrim cuts through Carrick and Shannon a bit like many cities in Ottawa we have Ontario and Quebec and she has worked in a variety of careers uh, catering and uh, has also migrated towards helping people through um, life coaching which comes an awful long way from um, health coaching through food to life coaching um, and uh, business coaching and we're going to hear a little bit of background of that path and then understand what it is about and Nuala has a book published charting your life's roadmap in an uncertain world and what's interesting about this is it's covering topics that many of us have already come across and covered in much more voluminous pieces of work and these would be things like the, uh, the seven uh, spiritual habits of um, success also um, things like Stephen Coveney's seven habits of highly effective people Tony Roberts leads the power within many more like that so these are the kind of works we might be familiar with but Nola has taken an awful lot of what we have seen in big works crystallized it into something that is very readable and I have to say very readable because we're looking at less than a hundred pages um, easily absorbed easily understood and joins the dots very successfully. Nola, welcome and thanks for agreeing to have a chat. Oh well thank you very much for that uh, impressive introduction Austin. Before we talk about charting life's roadmap for other people, for your own roadmap. My own roadmap. <laughs> You're the youngest of ten the youngest of ten. Now, there aren't too many families around uh, that were ten. Um, rural background, farming? Farming, yes. Uh, yeah. Farming, yeah. And uh, I loved the upbringing and the living out in the country and the farm so much that I'm back there now again. Well, I do uh, spend some time in Dublin during the week, okay, but I, I had such a nostalgia and such a love for the home place that I restored it and I, it's mine, I'm living there now, right. the gold country homestead. Okay, so if you're the youngest of ten, where are the other nine? Oh, that's a long story. Uh, three of them are deceased. Okay. Three of the older members and there are seven remaining and they're mostly in Ireland, I must say. Married, right. settled, children, all, all of that. And any, any abroad? Uh, oh, one, one brother, one brother uh, married in England. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, unlike my family, where we're uh, across the Atlantic, um, yours have been able to stay relatively close yes, to home. Yes, far from England. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, the youngest of ten, growing up mm. on a farm, um, how many boys? How many girls? Three boys, seven girls. Okay. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, were the boys expected to do much of the physical work, or, or was it the case of you were told you all had to muck in? Well, really, I was like an only child because what happened before me, I, I'm not too sure because I came along then last six years after the second last member. So the world was, it was all for me, really. Right. I was on my own with my, my parents and people would claim that I was greatly spoiled. So Yeah, of course, they, uh, I will confess to being the youngest. Mm. And what it means is that all the challenges that the, that others, the others have had to endure, the walls have been broken down by the time you get That's there. That's right. Uh, my brother in England who has been a great businessman down through his years and is retired now. He still talks about the silver spoon that I had in my mouth all these years that I, 
I was never aware of, but however, uh, from his perspective, I, I had, you know. Right. But um, my parents thought it's fitting that I would move to boarding school for my last two years of secondary schooling, which didn't appeal very much to me, and it appealed less to me when I was actually there. And where were you boarding? It was only 20 miles away, but their whole idea was, now maybe she is getting a little too spoiled here and, you know, too much of easy, easy living and whatever, so a bit of structure, to say the least, yes. Right. So I don't have very fond memories of those two years in Roscommon nuns' right. school, <laughs> but it was only two years. Okay, I managed three. Oh, in, in the last three in Garbley. Oh, similar, yeah. similar. You did three final ones. I did yeah. two final ones, and I could never understand how young children were sent boarding. I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh huh. I see. Well, I, I, I progressed from there then to um, third level uh, domestic science in Dublin. Right. Uh, that wasn't. I suppose the two years did prepare me a little for that for that yeah. break. Yeah. So whilst I was there, my father died. So that was a big wrench in my I'm life. Sure. Because sure. I was like an only child to him. Yeah. You know, he yeah. gave I think all the attention that he had in time to give. He was a, a successful. Um, farmer and a cattle dealer who went around the country and brought back cattle to the fairs for all the local farmers down through the years right. and he had um, he had land in different areas around the country okay. and so I was partaking in all of that all right. the different right. uh, activities so fun memories so when you did go to Dublin mm -hmm. coming from rural Ireland and farming background and going as we all set up to the big smoke mm. did you find that difficult uh, settling in? Not too bad I think the two years of boarding school because I was actually living in, in college the first year so it was very mm. similar to the boarding school right. and then I lived out the second year and uh, the second year it's a long time ago now but I'm still best friends with the landlady yeah. whose house I stayed in then and yeah. I, I go to her and take her out about twice a week now Right. So many years later, okay. her husband is dead and she had no family. Yeah. So I have very fond memories actually. And I'm back round the Rathfarnham area again, the Toastmasters Club, live nearby, work nearby. So right. uh, back in that area. So I've, uh, I always liked the sunset. But uh, following college, I worked all around the country. Right. And that was when you went into catering? Into catering, yeah. yeah. My initial stop was Ruski Cantoros Common. Okay. Meat factory there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, restaurant manager or canteen managers would have called it at the time and my reason for for uh, looking for a place to work nearby my father had just died and I felt my mother needed company right. but in actual fact it turned out that she was a lot more independent woman than we had realized okay so I, I, I lived at home for about uh, nine months and it was well time to move at that stage right, right. so I moved Galway and all around the country and um, over what period of time are we talking here? How long About you? ten years I right. moved for, yeah, 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 through catering companies. I did relief catering management right. all around the country in different factories, businesses and um, building societies. So what we're talking about is what uh, in the office environment where there's a canteen? Well, there's a, yeah, that's yeah. right. And I had my hours I had established when I was doing summer work in Athlone while I was at college that hotel life was not for me. Right. I wanted my hours, I wanted my life. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't willing to give that up and I, um, I found my roles within catering companies then which could accommodate me for the hours that I needed. Right. But as I was traveling around the country and filling in for for management around the country, I was aiming to get back to Dublin all the time. Okay. So okay. I got back to Dublin and there since. Right. So then you that progression then from catering into 
um, like coaching it wasn't a straight step you you migrated oh I did absolutely absolutely I stayed with the food business and yeah. uh, hospitality for a good number of years in Dublin I, I was uh, I landed with my own uh, let's say building society management role right. uh, a catering company that I had been with they got a new contract a very important contract and they um, set me up as manager there right. so I felt very at home there and I spent 12 years working there as catering manager okay I loved it and it was the biggest the longest time I've spent in one role actually down through the years it was my niche I felt okay uh, but when the opportunity came to move on it was a tender process or whatever I jumped at the opportunity to move out yeah I felt it was well time to just see and feel other work experiences and environments okay and I decided it was time to do it on my own um, this looking through the what is it world rose tinted glasses I uh -huh. thought well I can manage this restaurant no problem I've seven staff I can do the books I can do whatever so there'll be no problem I'll set up my own okay not realizing that I had the great cushion of the assets and the the capital from my catering company uh -huh. and I would have to um, facilitate all of that right but it was a great learning experience a hard one okay. tough one but I was so anxious to break out and do it on my own okay and I decided that there was a requirement for quality catering for directors uh, directors uh, meetings in Sandyford which was full of businesses yeah. I did the footwork I literally went door to door with menus and with suggestions and I broke into that arena okay and did did the work from home yeah and used all my own facilities and got into the car and got the, the food delivered for lunchtime and the challenges were just enormous from the actual fact of cooking from six in the morning and I wanted to give top quality. Naturally. I wasn't involving myself in 21st birthday sausages and chips, right, you know, right. uh, top quality um, home cooked foods and getting to the destination on time considering traffic restrictions and challenges and um, not having the particularly health and safety regulated vans or anything like that at the time I was just testing the waters in a sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it developed from the point of view that um, other companies would be in partaking of the food from mm -hmm. a particular client and then it developed in that sense but logistically it was unreasonable because companies could be I would have had five down on the keys and I would have had a few companies up in Sandyford right. and maybe one in Hollis Street right. and the logistics of parking yeah. and getting there on time and I was still going on adrenaline my mother had the headaches I didn't because I was just <laughs> flying high right so anyway the, the reality uh, at night time I, I delivered cookery demonstrations to adults okay. to try and uh, supplement my income right. because I was delivering such quality and for small numbers small niche numbers that I really was not making money but I was fulfilling I was fulfilling a need within myself to prove to myself that I could do this okay. so realistically I had to do something else so I advertised uh, cookery cook courses for adults yeah. I would have had 30 housewives maybe sitting looking at me on a on a Monday and Tuesday night in, in the EC colleges which were very basic yeah. 
and I would sort of be a different mindset to the daytime and I would have designed menus that would be an advancement from what they're doing every day for okay. their families. Right. They'd be sitting back looking for something very new yeah. and then the clean up after that and then back into the next morning the catering back. So it was a very hard graft for the job. So I did it all and for four years right. till the time came that I would have had to move to um, designated health and safety approved premises. Right. And I weighed up the costs and I was in my early 30s, the costs and the headaches. And I would have had to have staff and the capital investment would have been huge. So I decided, no, sorry, life is for living. I've, I've done hard graft for long enough. And okay. I closed the door to all food and all catering and went out there and took up some computer classes and typing classes and decided to go into the office environment where I could go in in the morning and come home at five and have a life. So, um, are we talking at a time now when the Irish economy was booming? So, to be able to do a transition like that from no, it wasn't booming. It was very low actually. Okay. So say it was late 80s. Okay. I think yeah. Uh, the yeah. long time we emigrated. Yes. The, it was the very economy low. was not good. Then. No, very but, low. Okay. But, but I had reached this point, and right. I thought I had given it my best shot. And the main thing for me was that I had proven that I could do it. Right. That the companies wanted me more and more. So I had to break the news to them that actually, that was it, I wasn't okay. around anymore because okay. I gave the best service I could possibly give, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I had no regrets. Right. And, but I had to go to down rock bottom, yeah. beginning to, to, to learn computers for the first time and learn typing for the first time. And I wanted to experience the world of administration and all of that that I would have seen in the companies you know okay. I would see the staff coming down having long lingering lunches and I seemed as if I was always hard grafting manually right so um, I had to start on a very basic wage to um, following my, my basic training um, the people I was competing with they would have been in this world from school whereas right. I was in my 30s now yeah. and I was taking my first yeah. computer course right Right. So I went out there and I decided to target agencies and make myself available for a broad range of companies from legal to banking to medical. I wanted to experience all different. I didn't want to go in and get locked into one company. Mm -hmm. So I got great experience, um, baptism of fire mm -hmm. and very basic wage. Mm -hmm. But it was something I wanted to do and I found myself in some very interesting roles and some very, very challenging roles. Mm -hmm. I was hitting the ground running literally and in way above my head in many cases. But um, I took it on, I, I, I covered, uh, as I travel the city now, every second building I feel I worked there, I worked there, there's very few places I didn't work. I want to draw your attention to something you just said there, that you found yourself in above your head in many cases. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have seen commented upon is that in the application for work women will tend to apply for jobs um, on the basis that they feel that well I can't apply for that I may not be qualified but men would tend to say I'll get, take a run at it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and from what you've just said to me that I took a run at you, it. you're taking a run at it that was then yes I wouldn't be quite so brave now even but there, is, there is a, there is a gender difference in attitude yes. when it comes to stuff like that that's right yeah. that's right well I did uh, I really did because speaking to other females or whatever they would say oh my god I've never chanced that and yeah. you know but I was just at that point and I thought well the best experience I'll get will be going head first right. and just literally doing yeah 
and again that's what they say is that men are comfortable to learn on the job whereas mm. women feel they have to know before they apply for the job and be very sure yes yeah I will be more of that mindset now as oh. time has moved on <laughs> but I still I still take lots of risks like right. I started another new job there last year but um, that, that was it so like I don't mean to be going on too much except no, no, that it's all bringing me to my yes. cumulative experience which yeah. brought me to life coaching I saw so much in those various offices indeed uh, some that were very very regimental and some very old-fashioned and dated systems and setups and and watching the um, the habits of people within the office environment whereas I had been out hard grafting challenging situations and I'd go into some offices and just be appalled at the the coziness in a sense or the the, the security yes. which would freak my head more than anything else yeah. uh, the hour and a half for lunch and just put the phone on on silent and this could be a hospital yeah. and then back for the evening break and there was the morning break and I never knew what a break was when I was working for myself I, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. so I, I was observing all of this and to me it was just and then you go into another workplace and it could be quite the opposite you might manage to grab a lunch for half an hour yeah. maybe the extreme opposite and I was absor- um, um, really noticing all these various personalities and the, the mindsets, the many different mindsets, you know, right. and management as well. And yeah. I would have had many challenging situations because I wouldn't have gone in fully um, equipped uh, to tackle, say, legal situations. Right. And there's um, a vocabulary and a whole uh, a whole learning procedure unique to legal which some people spend four or five years learning and I would be going in to do two weeks and literally to take over from somebody in this legal world you know so uh, all of this brought me to to I suppose the coaching in the sense but it was particularly the hospitals I was doing uh, PA to in in temporary situations as well John of Gods was there a eureka moment yeah when I was in the hospitals yeah Uh, John of God hospital I think and there we had many day patients mm-hmm. come in looking for a listening ear I felt mm-hmm. I was PA to a consultant and his team again just going in replacing somebody and learning immediately on the job from a leg- coming from legal maybe one week and financial another week and then suddenly into this psychiatric hospital and um, I, my empathetic nature I was inclined to give more time to listening to the patient coming in rather than the money and the appointment mm-hmm. whatever whatever but the eureka moment was all part of what's been discussed today very much at length about the medications for psychiatry mm-hmm. and depression mm-hmm. and all of that and typing up the letters particularly the amount of drugs prescribed to people and the revolving door system that mm-hmm. I seem to encounter mm-hmm. struck me forcibly whereas the other secretaries along the line they never batted an eyelid they were just doing it every week mm-hmm. whereas I felt we were doling out all those medicines or whatever and I would have had the urge when a patient would phone me in in a state of distress pull her file and regardless of who was booked in for the next hour or two when my consultant would come out just plunk it on top and say please this needs urgent attention Mm -hmm. but the secretary doesn't do that this will be put back down to the bottom again so I wasn't getting my my way so in effect what can happen in any environment is that there's a normalization but when someone comes in from the outside the normalization that would have evolved how unacceptable it is becomes apparent 
the system, yeah, mm-hmm. the actual system. Mm-hmm. But it struck me forcibly that what a lot of these people needed was more listening time. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their time was 15 minutes mm-hmm. at a good price. Mm-hmm and the next appointment. Mm-hmm. I was querying myself all the time, but should, there shouldn't be constantly next appointments. Mm-hmm. And um, that, and then I did some relief work in, um, in Blackrock Clinic, and there would be more physical ailments or whatever, but the same applied, the same applied in a sense of the word that like patients need, wanted to talk. Mm-hmm. And I, I was there and I really, really wanted to listen. And I was enjoying this so much. So between both hospitals, I think I realised I want to do something whereby I can actually listen mm-hmm. and I'm not curtailed. And my boss doesn't come in and say, "Well, have we next appointment? Have you taken the money for the first one? Whatever, whatever." That brought me on to doing my life coaching in the evening, actually. So when you said doing it, is so there? Yeah. Well, so there is a curriculum. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, a year. Okay. A year can cover, but you can do continuous professional development Naturally. following that, Naturally. which I do, you know, yeah. from time to time. And um, I felt it was it was for me really at that time. And what brought me to it was my cumulative experiences. So, when you went to take your life coursing coach, coach, Jing mm. course, mm. did you bring with you the? Um, critical eye that you had that brought you there to the course to evaluate and I'm not saying that was there anything about the course itself that said to you you know this doesn't add up or did you find that everything that was coming across it came together yes more so yeah and uh, it was a lot of self-analysis too which was no harm you know yes and I really enjoyed it if I were never to use it again right I really enjoyed it because I would imagine uh, particularly uh, I'm sure at the John of Gods that the uh, patient base there would certainly cause anyone to sit up and look in the mirror Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And pay attention. And so it really was that that was the eureka moment for me. I think yeah. you know. Right. Yeah, and the fact also that I was I was literally a temporary member of staff, so that I wasn't continuing on there. Right. So when I moved away from it, it was I was viewing it more critically. Let's say than if I was going in there every week for years. That was my career. Let's say. Right. I mightn't have been half as critical. So then, um, deciding to change horses again um, and enter another um, phase of your life um, coming up with, <laughs> with the client base because it doesn't matter where we're at in life the bills have to be paid Ooh, tell me about it absolutely and this is my second time breaking out on my own right um, but I also around that time I continued to work by day until I had the course complete um, at Dundrum Town Centre which was quite yeah. different to the hospitals and I was on that project for four to five years Okay. that was most interesting as a site secretary Right. again went through agency uh, as I said initially I was determined to, to sample all aspects of, of business yeah. so I yeah. fairly did cover it between legal and hospitals and the construction right. so in any business, a very important memory is your first, uh, uh, not just your first client customer, but the first one that actually pays a bill. Mm-hmm. So acquiring it's thrill, yes. it is a great mm-hmm. thrill mm-hmm. when you get paid for the first time. Mm-hmm. How did you acquire your first client? How did I acquire my first client? Oh, that's a very good question. 
I think it was true. I began writing articles for the local papers then. Right. Again, complimentary. And there would be motivational articles. Um, a little bit of what's in my book, actually. Mm -hmm. Under different subject matters like mood watching, stress busting, and um, subject matters that would pertain to every individual, really. Right. So it was through those articles that I got all my first customers, actually. Right. Uh, the Leitrim Observer. But I, to get writing in two papers, complimentary, I literally emailed 100 papers. Okay. And I just got two out of that. Right. So I had great enthusiasm and thrill about getting this. And I, I did my articles about once every two weeks, I think, or maybe weekly at the beginning because I was so enthused about the situation so thrilled to get one after emailing so many papers yeah. I got the list of papers to hold from the whole countryside and I did get return from those articles but the papers weren't paying me and the clients came to me but on an erratic basis mm -hmm. not consistent mm -hmm. not consistently enough to keep the bills paid uh, so therefore I had to continue with the day job mm -hmm. for a certain length of time mm -hmm. But then there came the time that that phased out. Um, the Dundrum Town Centre was finished, and I thought this is my chance to go into it fully, right. full way. Right. So again, I decided maybe to supplement my income. Like the last time I was out on my own doing the cookery, so it was all going to be great. I was going to have this great business of cooking and delivering to executives. Here I was going to have great business coaching clients and the big queuing to my door. Reality again struck. No, this doesn't happen. So I decided to do some training and signed up with or explored the um, enterprise boards and um, Leitrim, Leitrim, another group who would help and back unemployed people, particularly okay. construction workers. Okay. So I thought, well, I can relate to them. I've been in the construction world, and now I just want to deliver some boosting training, mm -hmm. boosting the morale or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, at um, half week, I would spend in the country going to Manor Hamilton and down to dead ends of Leitrim, really, going into enterprise centres and uh, designing and delivering some courses. Right subject matters a bit like what will be in my book yeah. you know yeah. uh, goals and outcomes and their attitude to the world and disciplines and habits and all of this type of thing I did an awful lot of groundwork in designing and, and um, uh, delivering those but I had a very challenging audience most of them were as I say construction workers right. can you imagine construction workers sitting in a class listening to me speaking about your goals, how are you feeling, um, uh, what's your attitude to the world, etc., yeah, yeah. etc. Et right. So they had laptops in front of them. So they were looking at solitaire and they had wheels under their chairs. So they were zooming around on their chairs right. as I was trying to deliver at my best effort yeah. uh, my message right. from the PowerPoint. Okay so that really I would have come out exasperated and exhausted but I kept on doing it right. for many months and I was uh, writing the articles and I was dealing with clients who came to me and doing marketing in every sense of the word that I could do yeah. so I 
kept on going at this hard grafting for some years, loving, loving, absolutely, when I would get my clients. And then in the background writing the book. Yeah. And then, you know, reality is slowly dawning. Well, it was there all the time, but you don't face it a lot of the time until the bills get too high. That um, the reality is full-time job again. So back I go to agencies and start out once again right. in our most recent recession. And uh, the work was not easy to come by, but I started back into temping, secretarial work within the Dublin environment. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, the money dried up as well for the, um, the adult education. Right. The money dried up there, so therefore the course is finished. Right. So I, um, reality, back into the... So the most recent role that I have taken up is uh, home care administration um, within home care administration, secretarial PA within uh, home care, uh, um, home in, the likes of Home Instead, but it's another company actually that I'm with. So what I would do there would be I would do the administration and the secretarial work and source staff for uh, visiting the homes mm -hmm. and interview the staff and then uh, link the carers with the clients. Right. So I'm doing that now as well as my coaching. One of the things that's striking me in all of this <coughs> is that your life experience is not untypical on one level but totally atypical on another level and that being that for many people who would have had to live through a portion, and I'll only say a portion, of your experience, that they would not have had the wherewithal, the ability, or the emotional strength to pull themselves to the next step. Yeah, I know. Um, and in what I'm hearing is that there were many times where an awful lot of people would have had they and did. Uh, would have hit a brick wall mm -hmm. and ended up in depression, mm -hmm. suicide, mm -hmm. um, broken marriages, all sorts of other situations. Um, so that part of your makeup has been to see the brick wall, but to find say, there has to be a way around this, mm -hmm. and to successfully seek out, find, um, and reinvent in order to do so. Mm -hmm. So that in crystallizing that then I can understand how the skill set you were bringing to a group of construction workers in a room <laughs> on, 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 on wheelie chairs yes. um, that while challenging and all as it would have been mm. that, that I can see how you were taking from it as well as giving to it mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> moving I finished up doing quizzes with them some days <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always knew I would never survive as a teacher. Some would have been murdered, but because <laughs> I wouldn't have had the patience for that. But um, so then, you, you, as you said, while this was going on, um, you were seeing um, in reality the struggles that people were having. And as I referred to at the start when we started the chat, and I listed out some of the bibliography, um, much of this type of bibliography would not have been something that many of the people you obviously were dealing with would have had either the patience or at that point in their lives access, access to or the wherewithal to oh. sit down and take what it would be a 
serious piece of work mm. read and absorb it mm-hmm. and you saw that there was very much a need to simplify mm. and present in a format that someone could read easily absorb and gain from mm-hmm. well I also think the power of stories mm-hmm. and the power of true stories particularly mm-hmm. so that was my aim when I decided to write the book deciding to write the book was really from the uh, articles I was writing and I thought well you know I'm writing those articles many weeks I'm getting great feedback from them very positive feedback even from people who aren't using my coaching skills right uh, of all places the local pub I might have heard many times you know oh what is she going to try and motivate us about tonight right. you know um, we read your article and whatever whatever that get a great run out of it but as many people said that's positive yeah, because at least they who don't usually read the uh, articles in the paper they're reading your articles that's so they're right. able to relay back what you've spoken about you know that's maybe right. in a jocose way but deep down well, uh, indeed like yes. in this type of scenario there's no such thing as bad publicity mm, mm, that, that if mm. they are reading and talking about you it's better than who is she mm, mm, indeed. that's indeed. right <laughs> and then others in the pub might have said on occasions um, how do you contact Nuala and then one old man from a corner is a W, 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 whatever, you know. <laughs> right. So from that, from that, I decided that it would be good to kind of combine the articles right. and have them in one volume. Yeah. But I didn't want it to be just a volume of reading. Okay. I wanted it to be my client's stories. Right. And not about me at all. Right. And I, that, that was my basis. So I decided from the different... Um, scenarios I met and issues that my clients came to me with that I would have a heading for each chapter Okay. and that's how I came upon the format of the book because I had been very conscious of all those volumes as I say of reading that I would have done myself would have had to do during the coaching journey Yes. and volumes and volumes of reading and more reading and I thought well give somebody's story with their consent of course and there were two stories I asked each person if they would write to, like to write a testimonial and most of them were gushing they very much wanted to put on paper okay. the positive experience they had and when they asked me how do we go about it I said basically just mention where you were when you came to me where you where you wanted to get to and where you got to right and then I came up with the headings from there right so um your your headings where you're starting out and life coaching and what is it and that actually is a very good question because mm. you know <coughs> uh, in the world we live in you have um, people will go into a, a health club or a gym or whatever and they get themselves a personal trainer mm-hmm. um, and it's very specific or if somebody wants to do something they will get again some kind of specific trainer for that but life is very broad well that's right and this I've often said you know what about your head's happiness yeah, yeah. do you consider that at all you right know? yeah so within the huge area mm. of how would you define what you would say is life coaching where it's different things to different people obviously it is yeah. it is very much different things to different people it's I suppose in a nutshell you could say I'm the supporter and the facilitator right. to get the individual where they want to get to from where they are right now, basically. In many cases, though, people may not know where they want to get to mm. because that can often be part of the dilemma. Mm-hmm. So surely part of your role must be to help them to figure out, first of all, um, 
What, what is it? What's exactly. the problem? Some people would have come to me with very diff definite issues and very clear goals. Yeah. But for those who wouldn't, I'd sit down with them with the wheel of life. Right. And the wheel of life, I find a very powerful tool. Not maybe not everybody would, but I've found it, and my clients have all found it a eureka moment, really, for them sometimes. Uh, the wheel of life, whereby it's, um, it's 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 a circle, literally broken into eight sections, mm -hmm. and we can use the sections uh, headings for the various parts of our lives. Right. And there are some common areas like. Um, I always start with health and personal development because many people would, you know, when I'd say, what's most important to you here? What will we put down? And we'll allow to say, oh, money, career. I'd say, are really those the most important? If you really think seriously about it, you know, when the career and when the money isn't the be all and the end all to you, what ultimately matters at the end of the day? Right. And they would <coughs> mention health. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the, the, the common headings would be health then and perhaps family and fun and recreation which could be linked with sport and could be linked with health as well and then the environment in which people work or, or, or live can have a great negative or positive effect depending mm -hmm. on where they are and career and finances and then the, the, the initial step uh, when I'd have somebody who's kind of a blurred vision as to where they want to get to is to mark off the wheel of life on a score of 0 to 10 Right. and the lower the score the more attention would need to be paid to that section. Okay. But ultimately, when, we, when he or she would finish marking the wheel, I would ask them to look at it and say, well now, does that look kind of a bumpy ride or a clear ride or how clear would you like to have it, you know? Yeah. So just because in, uh, an area might have got a very low rating, that may not be the area that they want to tackle initially. Right. But by looking at it, it forces them to see what it is that they would need to tackle. And I nearly always have got an answer from a client as to what they want to start out with when they look at this wheel of life. Right. So it is a powerful tool. And then we would start the journey. And from that it's a question then of developing with them what would be a personalized path in effect. Exactly. Action steps. Yeah. Action steps. And that's why I would ask to meet them once fortnightly. Right. Uh, in order to literally keep them accountable and hold them accountable for what we mutually design but actually what they really mention because the whole thing of life coaching is that the answers are within the client Correct. Yes. and it's to extricate those answers Right. The, and, uh, the answers do not come from me because I'm meeting new people different days and I know nothing about their lives they have the whole answer within yeah, only that they haven't managed to bring it forward yeah, that there's something there that's blocking it, or, or mm, and yeah. they haven't clearly viewed it, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So uh, within the the path um, that's uh, establishing goals and measuring the goals and all that, that aspect of it. Um, I see here a heading your attitude to the world because nobody lives in, in isolation and again so our, everyone's relationship to the world is a critical part of who they are, what they are and their total well-being. Mm -hmm. um, many people oftentimes would not see that as a critical part of their being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would that be something you've... Ex you've just yeah, they may not. Um, like I have divided under that attitude to the world, you know, subheadings. If attitudes were for sale, would you buy yours? 
and it means you're just looking at your attitude are you cynical are you positive are you negative mm-hmm. you know it's um, examining really mm-hmm. and being mindful of how am I regarding this situation uh, have I a very definite negative mindset on it uh, how can I get over it if I keep with this negative mindset so what steps should I take to view it differently and so many have attitudes that have been ingrained oh definitely and programmed programmed and within that programming or ingraining that there is no has never been an analysis um, there's not necessarily a logic and there's mm. not necessarily an emotional connection but it actually exists and can often be the major barrier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that, very true that can be very hard to, mm-hmm. for somebody to, to let go something that oh, may there's no doubt years of programming absolutely mm-hmm. yes yeah no doubt but that's why you know that uh, personal development is important and to do one's best to try and reprogram the station let's say so if someone um, other than uh, what may be um, seeking to be a high achiever or in a uh, senior business position but for the ordinary man on the street because you reached out through the likes of a provincial newspaper that must have brought you in contact with the man on the street yes yes a great variety of people yeah and their life experience is no different than the guy aspiring to be the CEO but it's just absolutely how the path of life has been for them. Are, have any of that uh, demographic come to you and said, "Will you work with me?" And I want to hire you. Or the companies? No. Yeah. The, the man on the street. The man on the street. The, the reader of the Leitrim oh, Observer. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because that's, as I say, where I got most of my clients from. You know? Right. Yeah, farmers, farmers. Yeah, a lot of. It was very interesting. A lot of recently qualified third level students, since right. free education, I think, students have this big points race. Yeah. And the CEO form is filled under duress when they're in the middle of their leave and start studies and they're just writing down ad lib, anything. Right. And they go through all that. And either in college or straight after college, they're totally miserable. It's not what they wanted at all. So they never had any of this not training but kind of let's say mind mapping or um, mindfulness they never had that opportunity to consider well what do I really want what is in line with my values what would I love to be doing and then work backwards you mentioned the word there mindfulness because of course that's a word we hear a lot of in this day and age so is part of your coaching to help somebody develop mindfulness and self-awareness well yes that's part of it but uh, it wouldn't be a huge focus because some some um, coaches uh, are professional within that area completely right it's complete mindfulness with them whereas I am the book and with my clients I literally just touch on it right and if people wish to explore it in greater depth I would actually recommend them further. Okay. But okay. to me, it's as I say, it's just a matter of touching on, and it's just part of our whole um, positive kind of. Um, so I'm I'm going to jump to part six because mm. that is one that mm. would have been particularly uh, relevant mm. in Ireland as in the last seven to ten years. Yes. Redundancy. Yeah, redundancy and doing it for yourself. Yes. And again, like I said, the whole book was 
was designed from my and my coaching practice from my cumulative experiences. I've always said that coaching isn't something that a student who has just completed her third level could go into. Right. Because you have to have life behind you, Indeed. life's experience, life's knocks, life's hardships, which yeah. I felt I had all of. So I was in that area at that time myself, or I had experienced it very recently. I was also training construction workers and many others, or yeah. delivering courses to people who were within that arena at the time. They were made redundant, and I was very, very conscious of it, and I, I felt I knew all about it myself. Right. I would have been made redundant myself from different jobs, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. as well as um, other situations. So I would, uh, I think one of the times that I went out in catering for myself, I think a redundancy had come up. That was it um, from the 12 years I had done in a, in a building society in Dublin, redundancy. But I was very delighted of it at the time because I wanted to break out. I wanted the push. Yeah. So I would have experienced redundancy on a few occasions. Okay. So I felt I knew I was empathetic to the people I was dealing with right. and I had to write about it. Redundancy and, and it can be that push to go out and do it for yourself. Because you say, well, now I have the space and the time. What is it I always wanted to do? And I suppose one of the challenges in that, and you have identified it very clearly, is that in doing it for yourself, it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> and yet there is a, a hope that, you know, my daughter constantly is telling me she has the million dollar idea Ooh. and she tells me what it is. <laughs> the million dollar idea usually takes $999,000 to get there. Ooh. But, um, you know, that people, when they find themselves in that situation, will grasp at straws. Oh, mm, tell me about it, yes. And, you know, they can be the victims of, uh, in, in a lot of cases, what are uh, multi-layered selling schemes, pyramid selling, mm. all sorts of things. I tried and, some of those. And well. they will grasp at straws. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, it's a tough time in people's lives. Absolutely. I've dabbled in a little bit of those. Yeah. You've just looked at them, gone to the meetings and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anything to complement and to enhance the income, like I did training at night and that. Yeah. So, yeah, grasping at straws, there is no doubt. So I felt... I felt I knew what I was talking about. Right, right. You know, I'd been there. Yeah. So when you would, uh, are able to relate to your client on that basis, mm -hmm. that must give them and you must feel that the connection is there and you're actually genuinely able to help. Oh, absolutely. And in part six, for example, the redundancy and doing it for yourself, again, I wasn't writing volumes about it. Yeah. I just wanted stories. I told them my story and I wanted their stories of where were they at when they met me with regard to that area and what did they move on to do. So I don't know if you've read the testimonials around that part, but I still find them interesting. It comes back to me. I can see the face in front of me right. uh, when I read their stories again. And um, what I would suggest maybe is why don't you read one of the testimonials? Uh, uh, doing it for yourself? No, even you there now, maybe the testimonial on page 58. Yeah, that would be under uh, doing it for yourself, yeah, wouldn't it yeah. be? Cormac, freelance musician. Yeah, I, I, it's mm. many years since yes, uh, I, yeah, since I met with him, and yet I can see him and where I met him and where exactly he, he was at. So this is just um, uh, backing what we were speaking about. On losing my job in January 2009, so that was the, the time frame, you know, that all of this was going on. When I was not seeing much hope for the future, these are his words now, I found my meeting with Nuala and additional conversations a great help in giving me the confidence and determination to start out building a music career for myself. 
Since then, I've gone from having an empty diary to doing three to four gigs per week, made up of pubs, parties, weddings. I've also upgraded my PA system and added lights to cater for the bigger gigs. I'm currently getting ready to audition for Ireland's Got Talent competition, so here's hoping. So thanks again, Nuala, for all your help and giving me the encouragement I needed at the time of our meeting. Did he go to Ireland's Got Talent? He did, he did indeed, but he's still in the music business. Fantastic, he's still fantastic. In the music business. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's a yeah. tough business. Well, that's a tough business. But I remember clearly with him, I did mind mapping. Right. And literally I spoke to him about... Um, as again, again, he had all the answers within. You see, I didn't know these businesses that these different people were wanting to go into. Yeah. But I was using the same technique for all. Right. Because in actual fact, as I told him, he was looking to become a businessman. And music was part of it. Right. So on the big scheme of things, music was just one part of it. Whereas he went into it like I did with the catering. The catering, to me, the food was it all. Right. But when I went out there, totally myself, there was all these different things. There was the marketing, there was the finance, there was the logistics, the travel, everything like that. So when I did a mind map with him, he couldn't understand. He, he was dumbfounded to see that all those other aspects were involved that he hadn't given any thought to. So based on all this, I have a question for you. Where's Don't Nola Dignan trying to get to? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's a million dollar. <laughs> That is a million dollar question. I need, so I need a life coach, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, what are your hopes and aspirations? My, 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 daily, my daily goal would be for contentment and happiness and whether would be my, my for, and health, as I was always showing on the Wheel of Life to other people. They'd be my main because um, money and um, wealth were never my driving force. Right. My driving force would always have been uh, help, empathy, empathy and help to others that's why I felt uh, at home with patients in those hospitals and that's what moved me on to the life coaching right. helping helping others and I'm back now really with the home care yeah. even though I'm employed by somebody else yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. helping others in a sense of the word both, both uh, carers and getting them employment and um, the clients helping their, their lives with getting them good carers you know there. They haven't, they haven't changed very much, my goals, down through the years. Yeah. A level of, of um, contentment and connectedness with people. And, um, and isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, I'd have all that before finance and making money, enough money to live, but yeah. I never was one for, for, you know. Because at the end of the day, isn't it that about just sitting across the table and being able to connect with people? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to do it in a way that uh, is not negative on oneself, that there's not that the, the negative chatter isn't pulling somebody down, mm-hmm. and, and that I think uh, to some degree, um, yeah, the, the material world it's it's all very fine, but um, you know I think all of us must have aspirations that are a bit above that. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you. And the guy in the pub said it was www. Uh, the story from the pub actually was so funny from, from my articles. As a result of my articles, uh, one of my speeches in Toastmasters one night, I designed totally on life in the local pub. Right. And I focused a lot on their their viewing of my my articles and all of that. You right. know. Right. And. Um, 
www.newlidignanlifecoach.com Now, if somebody came at you from abroad or from some other part of the country, do you ever do anything over Skype? I do, but my preference, even as you heard know, from yeah. me, my preference is always meet the person face to face, if possible. You I know. agree. I know it's there's yeah. a dynamic yeah. feel there that you can't get, ah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. but in this virtual world that many people live in. Ah yes, yes, yes. I can, I can do on Skype if if need be, you yeah. know. But um, on many occasions, even somebody from abroad, there's a chance perhaps of of one moving to for holidays or whatever, you know, yeah. and that I plan to meet around that time. But certainly, I could I could do Skype, or a telephone call, and yeah. all of that, you know. And uh, my book would be the, the the starting point anyway, which Indeed. can now be sourced on um, Amazon and um, there's another website that uh, uh, well, escapes uh, me now. Well, the um, manuscript publisher, you can get it through that. Manuscript as well. publisher, Creative Space. And create, okay. And shortly we will have it on Kindle. Excellent. Yes, um, Kendall is very much in demand now, I think. And as I said, it's, what's really nice about it is that it's easy pick up, yes. um, take a topic, yes. read the topic, yes. absorb the topic yes. quickly, yes. and put it back down and think about it. That's right, but particularly start off maybe reading the stories, because mm-hmm. as I said earlier, the stories people tell is what stays with you. It's like images or visions, they're way ahead of a PowerPoint presentation. Oh. As, we, so I, as, as I think you and I were listening to the same program this morning as mm. we were driving and mm. as one speaker on that said uh, what is um, death by PowerPoint that's right <laughs> well equally I feel volumes of material written material some people are into this heavy reading okay yeah, yeah. but for this subject matter if somebody's at a certain point and they just want to kind of relieve some stress or whatever and you know I know you didn't mention customer care but some people have often said to me why would you write about customer care in a, in a book chart in your life's roadmap in an uncertain world well my answer to them was I've been out in the working world for all those years and if there isn't good customer care our, our world can be very very negative because we're all we're all customers every day Indeed, are, we're servicing people are serving people in different ways so customer care I think is an extremely important part of life there are two things I'll never forget uh, they were on the mantelpiece of my first employer when I went to Canada and um, one said that uh, people do business with people they want to do business mm-hmm. with but it's very strongly saying people do business with people and the other one said the customer may not always be right but the customer is always the customer mm, excellent and it taught me that you don't have to be a doormat but you have to treat the customer with respect mm-hmm. and never forget they're the customer Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never forgotten those. There were a few other things along the road that I picked up as well, mm-hmm. but I consider those two were certainly guided me through my career. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. So you see it appropriate enough, do you, th- Austin, that I would include customer care? Oh, very much, because customer care is not confined to business. Yes. You know, like in, in any, I would say that in any interpersonal situation. Um, you know, someone may not always be right, but you should still be treated with respect. Yes. And, um, you know, one of the things I've always seen as very important if we um, look at any conflict around the world, it doesn't matter where it is, I've always considered the biggest problem has been that one side will not acknowledge the legitimacy to the, of the other to having a valid point of view. 
you don't have to agree with it mm -hmm. but it's legitimate that you can have a different point of view mm -hmm. and if each side could acknowledge the legitimacy of the other side's that it is valid to have a different point of view you've actually made tremendous progress mm -hmm. um, so that's the same thing the customer may not always be right mm. but still always the customer mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. of course, you know this, the old maxim of it's easier to keep business than get new business. That's right, I've, I've touched on that here, like, um, uh, if you don't mind me just calling out a couple of, um, a couple of lines within the customer care. Um, there are no traffic jams when travelling that extra mile by Roger Staubach. And also make that difference and outperform every time. It doesn't take much, but you can always outperform yes, each time. Yes, indeed, indeed. You know? um, and um, and you have it there. Costs five times more to attract a new client. That was the, right. the rule of one. The rule of five. Yes. You know, you do something good, five people talk about you. You do something bad, 125 people hear about That's it. That's right. And and I particularly can think of restaurants when yes. I'm, I'm speaking about that. Indeed. You know, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, do what you say you will. It means doing what you say you will, when you say you will, how you say you will, and at the price you promise. The other thing I found invaluable, and I'll, I'll never forget it, there was one occasion where I was dealing with a customer and I'd made a mistake and his secretary, this individual was very black and white, and I mean black and white, mm -hmm. his office was black and white. Oh. And there was a mistake made and uh, his secretary was somewhat upset because he was away and was going to come back and find that something wasn't quite black. And um, I went in, I was. Uh, acting in liaison capacity and I went in and I immediately said to her you're right, we're wrong how can we fix it? Yes. and we became partners in a solution rather than adversaries and the lesson I've always learned is that you know, the customer is willing to become your partner if you treat them pro correctly in mm -hmm. coming to a solution rather than it having to be a battle for mm -hmm. them to try and get what they feel or a conflict, or a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yeah yeah. yeah, that's very true. So, Nuala, um, we've given the website, and uh, and you're my on telephone number. You're on Facebook, and Twitter, and Twitter, and LinkedIn, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and all those places. And mm -hmm. if anyone does want to reach you, we won't put out the phone number because it'll be a, an I international know. call. I know, yes. But the, you're easier found on Facebook, probably Twitter, and all these other places. That's correct. And to, not to hesitate to go and purchase that book. Indeed, and the book is it. charting your life's roadmap in an uncertain world. Yes. And choose happiness daily. Yes. And it's newly diagnosed. Yes. And as I say, you're going to find it on Amazon. Uh, go through our own website which is www.nulladightonlifecoach.com and uh, shortly to be available in Kindle. Uh, yes, but at the moment Creator Space and Amazon, yeah. that's right. And you may just wonder about the title. The title came to me one, one morning when I woke up really and I was in challenging situations myself during the recession, trying to do it for myself and um, look at the world of paid 9-to-5 employment mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And literally, the, the, the title came to me, Charting Your Life's Roadmap. The world was very uncertain mm -hmm. then, very, very uncertain. So that's when I sat down and started uh, drafting it. And of course, the reality of it is, for anybody in that situation, it's an uncertain world. Mm. It's, only, it's a certain world for the ones who are in secure employment mm. at that point in time. Mm. But that can change. Yeah, I was literally living uh, very, and have been in a lot of 
right through the years I've been living in a very uncertain world you know what I mean oh indeed I do much to my mother's uh, regret she right. would have thought of the bank and the civil service been there. the more she mentioned it the more I went the other direction yeah I spent yeah. my years in the bank yes well I'm sorry I never did the older <laughs> sisters went along the lines that she she had mentioned or whatever but mm. I, I was the radical the, the youngest in the Nola, it's been fantastic talking to you yeah well thank you it's been my pleasure Austin we've, we've covered an hour believe it or not which is fantastic. Yes, yes. And um, it, it has been most enlightening, and I wish every success, and hopefully the book goes well for you, and maybe you get some inquiries, and maybe uh, a, a client or two as well out of our Absolutely, chat. absolutely. And I would just recommend it to people to just download it, yeah. and they, they needn't read it from start to finish. Yeah. It's a book that you can pick your paragraph on whatever mood you're in at the day. Indeed. And it's really top tools and tips for your happy life. Indeed.